love that verse. He has removed my sin, not in part, but the whole. All of it he has taken on himself. And it is, a, it is just such a joy to remember the gospel. And right, Paul tells us over and over again, remember, remember, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're constantly reminded to do that because we so easily forget the gospel. And that's what makes today just a, a very special, a special day because as we see uh, Talitha Frame and Jacob Folia being baptized, uh, we are remembering what Christ has done to redeem not just them, but all of us who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a powerful testimony. And and what I want us to do this morning is I want us to talk about baptism. And I want us to see what does baptism really mean? And the reason I think it's important for us to do that is because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about baptism. Um, There's a lot of a misunderstanding about what baptism pictures and why we do baptism. And so what I, what I want us to do is um, first address the question of why we practice it, okay? Why do we practice it? And these aren't going to be long, drawn-out answers, okay? But why we practice baptism, then what does baptism mean? Because understanding what baptism means helps us to understand why we're doing what we're doing. So what does baptism mean? And then we're going to conclude with what I think are just three applications from baptism. So three things that I I think as believers in Christ, we should remember as we see the baptism, okay? So that's what we're going to do. Why we practice it, what does it mean, and what are some applications we can draw even this morning from the witness of it. Okay, so let me ask you to join with me in a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll do that. Father, we thank you again, and we rejoice in your presence here with us. Uh, we know that you have promised to never leave us or forsake us, and you have promised to be among your people as we gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we ask you, O oh God, Holy Spirit, to bless us this morning through your word and through the study of this ordinance that you, Lord Jesus, have given to us, uh, that we as your people might be encouraged and strengthened and built up and really more conformed um, to the image of your Son as a result of obeying you in this ordinance. And so we ask for your blessing now, and we do so in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. So why do we practice baptism? It's not, a, it's not a denominational thing, right? We are a Baptist church, but we don't practice baptism uh, because we're Baptists, right? Um, other churches practice baptism as well. Um, ultimately, all Christian churches practice baptism because it's um, what our Lord commanded us to do. So if you were to look, um, you can turn there if you want. We're going to be in a number of passages today. But if you look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, at the end of our Lord's earthly ministry where he has already died and risen again, he gives this command to his disciples. And you'll notice that he institutes this command with his own divine authority. So as he's giving this command... He's giving it to them based on the authority 
that he now has as a result of his resurrection. When he, when he rose from the, from the dead, the father said, the son sacrifices acceptable. He's an acceptable mediator. He's, he's the acceptable savior and Messiah, and all of his work is accepted by me. And so his authority then is his as he commands his disciples. And so this is a divine command. And so he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we call this baptism an ordinance that is given to us by our Lord that we are to perform, as he says, we make disciples of all nations. And we are to do this, he says, until the end of the age, right? So we are, until Christ returns, we are to be making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded until the very end. So, th so what you're going to see today is not going to stop. Right? It, it, it's not going to stop until Christ returns. And it's not going to stop because until he returns, this is what he has commanded us to do. Um, and so it is expected that we as believers then, under the authority of the risen and reigning Christ, would obey this. So, so it's an ordinance, and that's why we, we do it. Now, that doesn't answer what it means, though, and this, this is where I thought it was important for us to understand. Um, before answering the question what it means, I think the first thing we need to understand is what it doesn't mean. And what it doesn't mean is the meaning is not found in our act of doing it. Maybe I'll put it like that. In other words, baptism is not about what we do for God. It is ultimately about what God has done for us. And the reason that's important and is because if you reverse the two, okay, if baptism becomes about something I am doing for God, if you reverse it and put that on top, it turns baptism into something that you might see as a, a empty religious ritual or tradition. It, it ultimately becomes a work of man that I do, that I believe in looking at it like that, robs God of his glory, which baptism, which he ordained, is actually meant to convey. Don't forget, baptism, we do it because God ordained it for a purpose and the purpose isn't to test our obedience. The purpose isn't about us. The purpose is to put him on display. And you reverse it. I think this is what we kind of see sometimes in, in modern evangelicalism. People tend to become indifferent to baptism when you reverse the order. 
And the reason they become indifference and they say, what's the big deal? God knows my heart. He knows that I love him. I don't need to perform this ritual to show him that, right? After all, God's work, uh, good works don't save us anyway. We're saved by grace. So why stress over this baptism? I can choose to obey God in another way, and I don't have to really do baptism, right? This is what happens when you reverse it. You make it almost a work that you do, and so I don't really need to do that specific work. I'll work in another way for God. This is why a lot of people are running around professing faith in Christ who have never been baptized. They're indifferent to it. Why do I need to be baptized? It's just one command among many. And so they, they go away not being baptized. I think that's because they've reversed it. It's ultimately about their good work. I think that's a downfall. I think another problem when you reverse it on the other extreme, and you see this as well, is that if you reverse it, you begin to look at baptism as your obedience that leads people to be baptized many times. There are people that have been baptized two, three, four, five times. There are churches that will lead people out to the ocean and they will just every Sunday baptize people, the same people, over and over again, and they'll baptize them. And why they're doing that is because they start to see baptism ultimately as my work before God. And so when your life maybe doesn't match up with what you profess to believe and you're, you're living in a, just in a season of sin and rebellion, people then think, well, you know what? My baptism wasn't really real that time. And so now I really believe in Jesus. And so now I'm going to be baptized, right? Because they're connecting it to their work. And so suddenly it becomes this work of righteousness for people that, that they do in order to offer to God some kind of sacrifice to God that would be accepted, and then and, and it becomes a central work in their heart. And that's not right. And the reason is because they switch it. When you understand that baptism is about what God has done, it actually gives you a very different perspective. God ordained baptism in order to put his glory on display in the work of redemption. Not to put our work on display, not to put our faith in on display, not to put our obedience on display, but he ordained it to put his work on display to put an objective work of the gospel on display. And so baptism, if I'm going to give you a, a kind of a definition, baptism is really about purification, a symbol, a sign of purification. It's a, it's a rite of washing or cleansing that God has given to us to be an outward sign and a, and a seal, as reformers would say, that points to an inward spiritual reality. An outward sign and seal that points to 
in inward spiritual reality. What are those realities it points to? It points to this. It points to the fact that you have been washed of all your sin. It points to the fact that the believer has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit or born again. It points to the fact that you have been counted righteous in God's sight. It points to the fact that you have been buried and raised together with Christ. You've been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that you have been indwelt and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It points to the fact that you have been adopted into the family of God. And it points to the fact that you belong to the Lord as a new covenant member of his body. And so the way that we do this here at Ranch View Baptist Church is we signify this, we, we, we obey this ordinance by being immersed in the water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to symbolize by that outward manifestation uh, or picture of purification and cleansing um, through immersion. It's a wonderful way, I believe, not only of picturing our washing and cleansing, but it's a wonderful way of symbolizing our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. This is what, this is what it means. So Romans 6, 3 to 4, Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, that word there is not referring to the water baptism, but just being in Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. And so immersion, I think, where the baptizee goes fully down in the water, buried in a grave, if you will, rises out again, I think is a good picture of what Paul describes there in Romans 6. That's why we do it by immersion. Some churches sprinkle or pour over um, as a rite of purification, but we do it by immersing. So just to be clear now, baptism and your baptism, Talitha and Jacob, your baptism this morning, and all of you have been baptized, doesn't make those spiritual realities true. It doesn't make them yours. It signifies that everything Jesus accomplished on the cross is yours by faith in him. It's his work. It's grounded in his person and his work. And that's where baptism finds its true meaning and significance. God has done marvel, a marvelous work for us, right? A marvelous work of redemption. He's done it all. He's taken your sin. He's granted you the faith to believe. I, I believe the scriptures teach that in Philippians 1.29 and Ephesians 2. He has sanctified you. He's made you his own. He has called you out of this world. He has redeemed you. He has done everything from the beginning to the end. And so baptism really isn't about us doing something. It's about God picturing that work. And it's a marvelous work. 
Now, we are rejoicing in that this morning because we're witnessing Talitha and Jacob's baptism. And, and the first application, I think, for us to draw out of this act is that it is something that we should rejoice in. God's redeeming work in the Lord Jesus Christ is actually worth celebrating. He, he, that heavens and God in heaven and the angels do it. Every time Christ accomplishes his work of redemption, heaven rejoices. And so we should rejoice. And we saw that last week in Luke 15. And so let me just re rehearse that for you. The scribes and the Pharisees, you remember, they were grumbling over the fact that Jesus was doing what? He was receiving sinners and tax collectors, and he was eating with them. And they were grumbling. And Jesus was eagerly going to them, and he was welcoming prostitutes and the maimed. He was welcoming the diseased the social and the religious outcasts. He was welcoming the lepers. He was, he was going to people like Zacchaeus to his home, a chief tax collector hated, and he was bringing them to himself and he was eating with them. And the self-righteous, they couldn't take it. They, they couldn't stand it. The, the self-righteous often tend to grumble at the blessings of others because they feel that they are more deserving of God's grace. But Jesus, he wanted them to know and to see that this salvation, this work that he was doing was a matter of joy in heaven. And so he responded to them in these three parables, and his main point was that when the lost are found, what does he say? Heaven rejoices. So if you read Acts, uh, Luke 15, a lost sheep is found, and what happens? Heaven rejoices. A lost coin is found. Heaven rejoices. And a lost son is found. And the father's house celebrates. And he says, it is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's why Jesus came. And heaven and God in heaven and the angels in heaven, in the heavens, rejoice. They rejoice at the work of Jesus. So Jesus, the son of David, is the ultimate shepherd of Israel, and he came to gather the lost sheep of Israel back into one fold with one shepherd. This is why Jesus will tell Zacchaeus in Luke 19.10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, and by the way, if you want to turn to Ezekiel 34, listen to this glorious passage. And, and remember, we're, we're saying this is God's work. And you can really see that in Ezekiel 34. We're going to read verses 11 to 12 and 15 to 16. This is why it's worth rejoicing, not in what we're doing, but remembering it's what God has done. Look how many times God, the Lord God, says, I will. Even how he starts it in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, look how he stresses it. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. 
As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. You see? It's all God's work. The whole thing. He seeks them out. He finds them. He saves them. He restores them. God does everything, and Jesus... Pulling from Ezekiel 34, when he is ministering in, as Luke records it, says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's all his work. And so, beloved, we are to rejoice in it. How did he do it? How did Jesus do it? Jesus did it by taking on our flesh and by living a life of perfect obedience to God's law in our place. And then in living that perfect life, ultimately he was crucified on a cross and he shed his blood and he died and he was buried in the grave. And the ones that should have been buried in the grave was us. We should have been buried in the grave because of God's judgment upon us for our sins. For the scripture says, the soul that sinneth shall die, and the wages of sin is death. And so every human being that he had created that ever walks on the face of the earth deserves God's judgment. But Christ, as our representative, he took our place and he took God's eternal wrath and judgment in our place. And then he was buried in the grave. And then, after three days, as God had promised, he rose again, justifying those who believe in him before God. He rose again, demonstrating that death no longer had power over him. He was the one who conquered death and paid the price in full. This is why when he dies on the cross, remember what he says? He says, it is finished. And he takes his last breath, and he takes the sin of the world. And then he rises again. And that's why Lazarus was such a picture of that this morning. Come out, Lazarus, and rise again. And he did. So we rejoice in that. God expects us to, but here's a second point of application. While we understand baptism to be God's work, it is not to say that the act of being baptized is irrelevant on our part. You see, baptism is tied to faith and repentance all through Acts. Um, it's seen as a way of giving an expression to saving faith. You see that in Acts 2, 38, 41, Peter preaches the gospel. 
Then he say, they say, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So those who received his word were baptized. Acts 8, 12. When they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts 18, 8. Many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And then even the households of Lydia and the Philippian jailer, uh, the Lord opened the heart of Lydia to believe, and she was baptized. And the Philippian jailer heard Paul's proclamation of the gospel, and he was baptized. And so our obedience doesn't add to the meaning of baptism, as we stated, but it does testify by being baptized to the faith which is ours through and in Christ, the faith by which we are saved. And so it testifies to that. And so what it is good for you to do this morning as believers who have been baptized is to look back to that baptism, to look back to it and to remember the faith that you professed when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the faith that was exercised in your heart by God. And it's right to do that. You know, I was reading an article this week which pointed out that Martin Luther, great Protestant reformer, he said this, and he wasn't baptized as a believer, he was baptized as an infant, but he said, there is on earth no greater comfort than baptism. Luther was famous for fighting against sin and Satan, preaching to himself, the article says, I am baptized, I am baptized. And so Luther's not claiming to be saved because he was baptized. Rather, Luther is perceiving the wonder and the glory of baptism. He saw the visible external act of baptism as an objective pointer to the invisible internal reality of new birth and the faith through which we are saved on the basis of Christ alone. That's what the article said. And so, if you're here this morning and you have been baptized and you are feeling weak in your faith, I pray that this morning you will look back to your baptism and you will remember, ultimately, that God is always true to his promises. And he has given you a heart, a new heart, to believe in Christ alone for salvation. And so look back and remember that the Lord has given you that faith to believe. Your baptism testified to that, a holy appeal to the promises of God. So, joy, um, sustaining us in our weakness of our faith. And point three, I pray this baptism is a reminder to all of us that God's redeeming grace and love through Jesus Christ is still at work in this fallen world. And we need to remember that. Christ is still being offered to sinners, and sinners are still coming to Christ. 
And the reason that's important is because there is a day of divine judgment that is coming upon the world for all of the evil works that they have done. Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so, in the midst of this coming judgment, God is still working to redeem sinners. He's still working to save sinners from that wrath to come by changing hearts and building his kingdom, and he's bringing them in. We need to remember that. And watching the baptism is a picture of that. And so I want you to know and we'll close with this. This baptism means there is hope for your loved ones who are still outside of Christ. There is hope if you have a loved one who isn't in Christ, there is still time for his salvation or hers. I want you to know there's hope for your neighbors. There's hope for your friends. There's hope for our nation. And there's hope for you if you are outside of Christ. God is patient, my friend. He is patient as we rebel and sin against him. But one day that patience will turn into a fury, as the Bible says, of God's wrath and judgment. But his patience means that today is the day of salvation. And by God's grace... That day of salvation isn't done. And so let us be encouraged to press on uh, through this baptism. And if you haven't come to Christ, come today. Repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name. Believing in him alone for your salvation. And God says, you will be saved. He has done it all. All the work, all of it accomplished, and it's ours by faith in him alone. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just for the testimony of your word and for uh, the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are so humbled, God, that you have brought the gospel into our homes that you have made uh, the gospel known to our children and our children's children, that you have blessed us with that word of truth from generation to generation, and, and even all of us here have been, in some sense, uniquely blessed in the world to have uh, heard the gospel. There are so many in this world, oh God, as you know, that have never even heard the gospel, and yet here we have a room full of souls that maybe even day in and day out, every day have hear the gospel. Every Sunday they hear the gospel. They have the gospel laying on their kitchen tables, Father. We, we have it on our phones. I mean, uh, we are flooded and inundated with the truth of your word. And we just thank you, Father, for giving us that truth and the hope. 
And I pray, O oh God, and we pray that there would be none here this morning that take advantage of that truth and reject it, that their hearts would be broken and that they would turn and receive the forgiveness that you offer them, that you would do a work in their heart of regeneration and grant them that saving faith to believe and draw them to yourself that they might be redeemed from the judgment to come. Oh God, how we rejoice in this baptism this morning for what you have done. We are so grateful for the way that you have given Talitha a, a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have called her to yourself. We're so grateful, Father, that she has seen her sin and her need for a Savior, and that she has come to you for the forgiveness of her sin and trusted in you. To you, O oh God, belongs all the glory for that salvation. And to see Jacob... Um, growing up in, in our home and raising him and telling him about Christ and reminding him of the gospel and to now see, oh God, that you have done a work in his heart that the gospel that he had repeatedly heard is now his by faith, not by his own faith, oh God, we know that, but by the faith that you give and the work that you have done. And so we pray, oh God, for both of them, Talitha and Jacob, that you would just build them up to be a young man and a young woman uh, at service and at work in your kingdom, that you would continually conform them into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would grow up in the faith to honor you and to serve you and to be obedient to your word, and that they would be faithfully grounded in the truth, that they would not be like waves and and winds of doctrine that come into the church blowing every which way, but that they would hold fast to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Oh, Father, you have said that you would not let your children fall. And we pray, oh God, that you would hold them tight and let this day, Father, in which they are baptized be a reminder to them a reminder to them of the work that you have done in their hearts, a reminder to them, oh God, that you love them and you care for them and that they belong to you, a reminder that their sins have been forgiven, a reminder that they have been sanctified and indwelt by the Spirit, a reminder, oh God, that they have been buried to their old self and raised to the newness of life to walk in obedience to you, a reminder, O oh God, that they are counted righteous in your sight. And let it be a reminder to all of us as we rejoice in it, in your work of salvation. We ask for your blessing now in the name of Christ, and we thank you. Amen.